It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base deep down low precision. Hey everybody. It is Wednesday, March 15th, and that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. You are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. So for the past uh, couple of weeks now, we've been interviewing uh, candidates that are on the spring ballot here in Wisconsin. We've talked with the candidates for Wisconsin Supreme Court. We've talked with the candidates running for Madison mayor. So many different things. What we haven't talked about is a big piece that's going to actually be on everyone's ballot, which is referendums. There are three statewide referendums coming up, and we're going to talk about two of them today. Two of them um, are actually amendments to the state constitution regarding the assessment of cash bail. And we're talking today with uh, three uh, individuals, two two representatives from the ACLU uh, of Wisconsin and uh, Wisconsin State Senator Chris Larson. Uh, All of them oppose these amendments, and we're going to find out a little bit why. Let's kick the show off. We have Wisconsin State Senator Chris Larson on the phone with us. Hello, Chris. Hello, Carousel. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So um, talk to us a little bit about what these amendments say in a nutshell and why you voted no when they were before the Senate. Sure. So there's there's two main questions here that will um, uh, amend the state constitution. And I can I can read them for you just so if, if folks are interested. So when you get into your ballot, I think everyone knows the other elections, right? Supreme Court, your local stuff. Uh, but there'll be these things and there's not that much funding going out there about them. But you'll see two questions and they're both related. The first one says, question one, condition, conditions of release before conviction shall section eight Parent two of Article one of the Constitution be amended to allow a court to impose on an accused person being released before conviction uh, conditions that are designed to protect the community from serious harm. And then it says question two, cash bail before conviction shall section eight parent two of Article one of the Constitution be amended to allow a court to impose cash bail on a person accused of a violent crime based on the totality of circumstances including the accused previous convictions for a violent crime, the probability that the accused will fail to appear, the need to protect the community from serious harm and prevent witness intimidation and potential affirmative defenses. And that's it. That's all you'll see. There's not an explanation. um, And you'd be hard pressed if you go out and try and search, try and figure out what all of that stuff means. And the breakdown of it is, is basically this was put on the put as a constitutional amendment to try and prop up one candidate who was running for Supreme Court who no longer is on the ballot because she did not clear the primary. Um, and it is just about this, this the, the, the overall pushing of talking about crime without actually talking about what the real solutions are. The idea that we can just lock up uh, our way out of this, incarcerate our way out of this. Uh, essentially, these would allow for judges to just increase the amount of bail that a defendant would have to pay for pretrial release meaning they could be locked up for the simple reason before they are proven guilty in a court of law in violation of the Fifth and Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, simply if they don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. Nothing about their ability to uh, produce harm. Um, it expands the ability of a judge to simply hold somebody in jail until they appeal for court. And sometimes that can be months, sometimes that can be over a year. And in some cases, if you look at other states, uh, 40% of detainees are there simply because they cannot afford to make that bail. Um, this is, this is, I think if people are just trying to look at a simple way to think about this, we have a broken criminal justice system. I don't think I need to explain that too much. 
Um, the fact is this would just build on a broken foundation instead of actually doing what would work in helping to reduce crime and helping to keep us all safer. So encouraging folks to vote no. Well, I really like that um, when I was reviewing a newsletter that you wrote um, with fabulous detail about why, you know, elaborating on everything that you just said, um, part of Mm it, one section of it, you were talking about how the history of, you know, politicians and policy decisions just sort of predating, uh, you know, predatory on your fear of crime. And you wrote, the ugly truth yep. is that the vast majority of policy decisions at all levels of government involving crime and criminal justice are largely bla- based on this philosophy that there are entire, excuse me, an entire class of evil people out in the world who need to be thrown in jail as quickly and as for long as possible. Talk to us about the work that you do in the Wisconsin State Legislature to challenge that perspective. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's it. And you don't have to look too far. I mean, even just yesterday, there was a bill talking about changing um, a certain crime from being a Class B felony to being a Class B felony, which would uh, increase the amount of incarceration for a person who is convicted of it. And the person who is testifying for it, you know, and not to paint people in, 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 a, in a bad light, but a lot of it is, you know, trying to solve some of these problems. And so we, we have a tendency to go back to the tools that are available to us. And if those tools are, are have not helped us get out of this yet, they're not going to moving forward. Just mm-hmm. saying, well, we're going to lock up the bad guys. So the bill's author said, you know, there's bad guys out there. We need to make sure we are we are holding them accountable. And all of that is just legislating by bumper sticker, right? It doesn't actually fix the system. We cannot legislate on hopes, beliefs, or feelings. And too often, that is what we have been doing for the last 40 years of saying, you know what, if we increase the conviction or if we increase the amount of time that a person serves, increase the punishments, well, hopefully, maybe uh, the word will spread that people will think, okay, I'll think twice because so somebody I know got locked up. The reality is, you know, and what evidence shows is that the certainty of a consequence is more of a deterrent from people committing crimes than the severity of a, of a, of a, a punishment if they get caught, right? And so, so for a first perfect example, people are worried about carjackings. But unfortunately, even here in Milwaukee, two out of every three people who um, are carjacking uh, get away scot-free. Only one out of three are actually ever caught. So the, the, the lesson, even though we're talking about increasing the, the penalty there, two out of three never see any of those consequences. And so because of that, they're, they're not, it's not really a deterrent. What we can do is actually be smart, look at systems that work, and uh, stop treating it like there are good guys and bad guys out there and start thinking about, okay, how do we make sure that we have a society that's going to help work for everybody instead of just locking people in cages because that hasn't worked the last 40 years. And I would hope that we don't go another 40 trying to keep doing that. And Senator Larson, what are people's response when you read them the, um, the amendment language, the referendum language, like you just did. When you first read it, first of all, it's it's hard. It, it's a little lengthy, and it doesn't give details. Yep. And you think, well, yeah, sure, a court should be able to think about all these things. I mean, they frame it in a way that you sort of feel like it's a no-brainer. What's your response to that? Yeah, I, I think it's it's in, by default, I think you should say, look, uh, most people end up voting against referendums uh, when they see them because there's there's a tendency to say, why are we changing any of this stuff? Right. Um, so I would say I think that most people will vote no by default, which is which is good in this case. And the second thing is, is I think the easy thing to think of is this is the way that the legislature is just trying to punt something to the uh, the people and say, hey, vote on this. But the underlying work has not been done. Um, to one, prove that this would work, uh, and two, th- the very basics of this. It actually changes the definition of some terms in our um, state's crim- uh, uh, criminal code, and those have yet to be defined. Hmm. And so this opens the door for the legislature to redefine what would be defined as serious harm. And so that bill has changed so many times. I, I'm not even sure which version we're going to be voting on in committee Tomorrow, again, the election is less than three weeks away, and the underlying language that they're asking 
the public to vote on has not been set. So I think, again, by default to say no, send this back to the legislature, have the legislature do the important work of trying to fix a broken criminal justice system instead of building on a broken foundation that is that has gotten us to the point where we are incarcerating more people than uh, than most states and uh, as a country uh, more than any other any other country that's out there. And and our final moments with you here, Senator, can you talk to us about the the implications that this is a constitutional amendment and how does that differ from other referendums? Yeah, so uh, any other referendum that you're going to see is going to be advisory in the state of Wisconsin. We, unfortunately, don't have citizen referendums like they do in places like Michigan and California, where people can bring them forward and change the law or change the Constitution that way. So state constitutional um, amendments, the the final step is that it asks the people uh, whether to vote up or vote down. And so the impact of that is if this changes, the only way to change it is to go through that rigorous process again, having two consecutive legislatures move that that question forward and then have it be voted on by the entire state uh, and have a majority vote for it. And so that is it's a, it's a big step. Um, a lot of the stuff that, that's going to be talked about, even if people agree, I don't think the state constitution is a place to be able to try and try things, right? Which, mm-hmm. which in this case, this is what they are doing. They're saying, well, why don't we try this? Maybe this will fix things. And the reality is we, we can look at data we can, and maybe it sounds nerdy and maybe that's why they, they think that we don't want to go down that path. We can look at places where this stuff has worked. We can look at what's worked to reduce uh, crime and what has worked to reduce the the, the bloated uh, prison system where we're we're not just casting people in there um, and, and ruining their lives you are you are ruining entire communities when you do that because you're not living giving a people an off-ramp from that in in, and in this case um, you are incarcerating people who have not been convicted and in many cases they are only guilty of not having enough money in their pocket right. and creating a different criminal justice system for the rich who can buy their way out, which unfortunately is, is already happening. So people who are incarcerated even for a short time, I mean, just think of it, if you were incarcerated for a short time, how that would look for if, if you are trying to explain that to your job, why you can't show up for two weeks and say, mm-hmm. oh, I was incarcerated. I'm totally innocent. Your job would look at you differently. And if you are renting uh, that and you can't pay rent because you don't have money, they're going to look at you differently. And it just cascades through life. So longer a person is incarcerated, even if it is a short amount of time, that is a lasting scar on their life. And we have seen that destroy people's lives. Um, And we can stop it. We can stop it by saying, no, send this back to the legislature and start doing what actually will work. Well, it's been fabulous talking with you. I really appreciate you joining us today, your passion and your sharing your expertise and, uh, you know, your history of working on this in the legislature. We're really fortunate to have you. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Senator Larson. Thank you, Carousel. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you bringing attention to this. Yes, it's great talking with you. Yes. That was Wisconsin State Senator Chris Larson. He actually happens to be the caucus chair for the Democrats in the Senate, and he represents parts of Milwaukee and the greater Milwaukee area, uh, talking to us about why he voted no in committee uh, and on the Senate floor for the proposed uh, constitutional amendments that are going to be on the referendum. And uh, it was great talking with him. We are going to um, talk now with two representatives from the ACLU of Wisconsin. But I want to remind everyone you are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. And if you want to join this conversation, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at area code 608 256 2001 extension 9. We have Jade, we have Dave, we have Jay. Everyone's in this studio this day. We're all ready for your call. So give us a call at area code 608 256 2001 extension 9. All right. Um, as we've teased, we do have two fabulous uh, guests joining us uh, for the rest of the show. Um, Amanda um, Merkway. Um, is the Advocacy Director at ACLU Wisconsin. Hello, Amanda. Hi, thank you so much for having us. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. And um, Melissa Luden is the Coalition and Relations Advocate at ACLU Wisconsin. Hello, Melissa. 
Hello. Thank you for having us. So let's back up a little bit. We only had uh, Senator Larson for a hot hot minute there. So, you know, we we put a lot of things in there, but I want to sort of back up a little bit. Talk to us, if you can, about the history and what's so what's before us are two amendments. And do they both deal with cash bail? What's really the issue here? Is it a criminal safety issue? Is it a cash bail issue? How does the ACLU interpret this? Sure, I can kind of start us off. Um, So I think this is uh, an issue that has been... um, examined for quite a while. Um, In Wisconsin, most recently, there was um, a study committee back in um, 2018, um, which is basically when um, the legislature kind of convenes these these things called study committees that that meet um, kind of over the summer, right before a legislative session starts. And it convenes um, legislators and subject matter experts um, on a particular topic where you can really try to get um, like evidence-based, bipartisan, kind of depoliticized solutions to, to problems. Um, and back in 2018, there was a study committee on um, bail and conditions of pretrial release okay. where um, there were legislators and judges and representative from the DA's offices and the state public defender and law enforcement all getting together and um, talking about kind of how the current pretrial uh, detention system works. What are some of the flaws? What are the ways that risk assessments are, are have been used and could be used um, so that um, decisions are being made um, based on kind of evidence and not just the feelings of what people think will make them feel safer, um, but doesn't actually uh, do that. And um, there was a lot of, um, I think, consensus um, about different aspects related to how, you know, the, the, the federal system um, really uh, makes sense in the way that it, it does um, pretrial detention because it's really um, based in, in kind of risk and not a matter of how much money you have um, to, to pay cash bail. Right. Um, so uh, I think it was, um, you know, as, as Representative Goyke, um mentioned on uh, the floor of the assembly quite a few times whenever this has come up, um, it's kind of shocking to him that, that you know, you have the study committee where people, there, there was kind of remarkable common ground among all of these different parties on some of the different aspects of ways that the system could be changed. Um, but then last legislative session, the 2021-22 session, um, they took up uh, a joint resolution um, to to propose this referendum um, that that was not one of the proposals that they had in that in that study committee seems to undermine um, the successful work of a bipartisan study committee. Right. So you know that's it's so you know frustrating thing number one, um, and uh, you know also also you know as as um, Senator Larson kind of alluded to, like, there's a lot of politics driving, you know, the timing of things and, and when this was being um, brought forward. And, and so we had like a number of different votes um, related to this um, proposal. First, last legislative session, the joint resolution that they, they passed. Um, and then um, in order to get on the ballot for this April, they had to, the legislature had to pass the identical joint resolution um, placing, you know, proposing these two questions to be on the the ballot. Um, And so because two consecutive um, sessions of the legislature um, uh, passed that identical resolution, it can be on the ballot. um, And and the governor doesn't need to get involved. I think that's important to mention. This is how you (laughs) buy. uh, God, why I'm blinking the word how you get around uh, a governor veto. Exactly. And there's been a number of, of, you know, different ways, whether you're trying to um, use uh, administrative rules <laughs> and administrative rule procedures to bypass, you know, the, the governor's veto. But but yeah, proposing to amend our Constitution is also one of those ways that is kind of terrifying how uh, big of a deal that is. Yes. Um, that could just be a, a tactic to avoid a, a veto. This is really helpful just to sort of get the outline. And I think, talk to us about 
some of the reasons why ACLU is opposed to this. I feel like there's two big pieces to it. One is the racial disparities and the Mm -hmm. impacts that it will have on people that are involved in the criminal justice system already. It literally, without exaggerating, has potential to ruin their lives. And we can let's break that down. And I think the second piece also is this doesn't keep us safer. This doesn't do what we think we're doing. People that are opposed to this aren't saying that they don't care about the safety of the community. What they're saying is using cash bail as a reason to determine someone's, you know, placement in jail does not impact the safety. So let's break those two pieces up. What should we address first? What do you think? What do you want to talk about? Melissa, you want to chime in here? Or Amanda didn't want to? I can definitely, I think, add, um, if we want to move more towards uh, talking about the human aspect of it, um, going back to what I think Chris Larson said earlier is, you know, our system makes decisions based on fear, beliefs, um, and what they view safety uh, to be. And part of that framework is white white supremacy system. Um, The bail cash system itself um, is definitely one of power, um, but it's also a way, I would say, to be able to um, really affect harm on people in poverty and, and Black people. Um, you know, cash bail system is the driver to mass incarceration um, and really just taking a look at, like, the implications of we have, what, 6% population of Black people in Wisconsin. Um, what does that look like in terms of how we lock them up, which tends, mm-hmm. what's, which is at 42%. Breaking that down into more of the humanness of of all of this is authoritarian punishments do not are not they don't solve the problem. Um, we want to be able to solve problems, and in looking at you know the the problem specifically in itself is anybody who would commit let's say a violent act of crime that is their way of solving that problem in the moment. But up until they go in front of the court system um, and are charged, that person is still innocent. They have to go through the whole trial process. And I think that's a big point with all of this is is they are still innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can even use my own experience in that I'm somebody that is directly impacted. Um, I was incarcerated at the age of 19 and I was incarcerated for a car accident. I am someone that drove into an intersection um, and unfortunately did cause harm to people. Um, I was placed on probation at that time, or I was on probation at that time, and I was placed, uh, I was given a $100,000 cash bail. And even if I made that, that bail, I'm still on appeal hold. And so there is another process to this. So if we take it around and turn it around to a black person, we have black people um, that are many of them on several years of probation. If they're accused of something that they did not do because we have so many of them in our, our system who are truly innocent and in our jails who are truly innocent, um, if they go into that and they're put on a cash bail, they're subjected even to more scrutiny because now it's potentially a revocation. So it affects so many different levels um and especially for them if they're trying to be able to provide for their children they finally were able to get a place to live finally be able to get a job and all of that goes away doubles the impact for them to be able to be successful in our communities and those things also i would say have to be taken into consideration is the two steps in that um but more importantly, I mean, cash bill isn't needed. Um, it doesn't work. As we had said earlier, money isn't going to keep us safe. And I think more importantly is that the likelihood of somebody ever committing a violent act, ever going and being released into the community and ever doing that again is so low and rare. And there are statistics to show that. And that's something mm-hmm. that we really need to talk about. Well, and I also love... Thank you so much for all of that and for sharing your, you know, personal experience, Melissa. It really, you know, makes a difference to, to 
um, to hear that. And that's really courageous of you and appreciated for you to share that. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so important to talk about how states and counties across the United States, including here in Dane County, I was on the Dane County board for 16 years and I was one of the, one of multiple legislators that worked on creating um and expanding our pretrial detention options. So acknowledging that courts and systems across the country have gotten smarter and said when there is someone that is charged with a crime, let's give them daily check-ins, electronic monitoring, access to mental health services, access to AODA services, access to counseling, all these other options that judges that are elected have at their fingertips. They don't have to choose any of them, but we've given them options so that they can actually do things to keep the community safer. Um, Actually monitor where people are, actually allow them to be out and keep us safer. Can you talk to us about that? How the expansion of, you know, pretrial alternatives that have nothing to do with how much money you have in your pocket that is what tools have been used to keep people safer. I think it's it's um, having those options can be critical when, um, as has you know been mentioned before, just even a day or two incarcer- incarcerated mm-hmm. when those alternatives are not available. Um, or when those alternatives are available, but someone can't afford the fee mm-hmm. or, or, or fine associated locally for electronic monitoring. So then they're stuck in a, in a cage. And, you know, there's um, particular research from uh, Dr. Santa Smith of the Harvard Radcliffe Institute um, that found that just one day of pretrial detention um, had kind of this, this list of, of consequences um, related to um, related to just not being able to meet your your basic needs and those ca- kind of cascading um, cascading impacts of, of that, whether it's housing or finances or employment. Um, and child custody is another big one. Um, I um, think about um, my experience representing um, young people in the child welfare system and um, how destabilizing even brief periods of parental incarceration um, can be and how confusing mm-hmm. it can be um, for for children. And even just a, a brief time of incarceration can have um, dramatic impacts um, on uh, a, a, a child welfare case and, and the, the likelihood that a parent could lose custody in the long term um, of, of their children and how destabilizing that is in the, the children's lives in that that short period of time um, and kind of thinking about other ways that that harm is is compounded it's like not only could you you know lose your job you could get your car repossessed you get evicted mm-hmm. and it's also like think about all of the different government systems that have to that cost money in order to right. affect those things so like the cost of of, of effectuating an eviction order and then the eviction court proceeding um, or the cost of a, a initiating a, a um, child welfare proceeding um, or the cost of you know repossessing a car. Co- and, and I think on top of that, there's just profound harm um, of someone who is, is, is caged. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's a thing that we don't we don't talk about. We're talking about like these are the the laundry list of things that could, you know, be be categorized as serious harm to the community that the judge can take into consideration when setting the price of someone's freedom. But what about the serious harm to the people that are being incarcerated? Well, mm-hmm. but isn't also the issue that the judges already are taking all those into consideration when they're assessing, you know, their pretrial release and they aren't centering it around bail. They have. So I don't help me understand. I didn't, I agree with everything you're saying, but I didn't read this amendment as something that would take those tools um, and assessment away from judges. It was just that these amendments made them use cash bail as 
as as the tool. Oh, this person is a danger to society. Okay, well then make them pay you a hundred thousand dollars. And that's where the whole thing gets crazy, mm-hmm. right? Because I always I always mm-hmm. use the example of. If I was charged with a serious crime, as we've seen lots of celebrities charged with incredibly serious crimes, and if someone were to, I, right, I own my house. Well, my the bank owns much of my house, but I'm a, I'm a homeowner. I'm not a renter. Mm-hmm. I am a car owner, um, right? Again, all of these things that if I was charged with a serious crime and I was told I have to put $100,000 cash bail to get out of jail, I would post it. How does that make anyone any safer? Mm-hmm. That has nothing. Maybe if I'm a danger, then paying $100,000 doesn't make you any safer. If I'm not a danger, paying $100,000 doesn't make you any safer. None, none of the money yeah. matters. It's just whether you have access to money or not is really what this amendment adds to. The, the, is, am I interpreting that correct? Yes. I would definitely say yes. I think, you know, how you just highlighted, even for like me now today, I'm 40 years old. If some, if somebody, I would be accused of something, let's say I didn't, you know, did do it or did it, but just was accused of something, I could post bail. I think all of us, and I think that's something where we have to take a look at what would you do in this moment? What would you do? And Mm -hmm. I think people have to really reflect on that to understand um, how there is just a group of people that can't make it. They can't make that bail. Um, and Amanda had mentioned something earlier, um, and her and I were talking about this yesterday because we see that it doesn't get talked about enough. If you are a mother who has children and you don't have anybody to take those children and you can't make that bail, where do your children go? Right. Who intervenes in that? And then not only that, but the bigger aspect of it is you may have family that say, okay, I really want to be able to take those children from from you while you're going through this, but I can't because I can't open up my home to now a government system because I might not be safe. And so it's the ripple effect. And then you have children now who can't be with a parent are losing, you're going to lose your home. That parent maybe has services for them, health insurance, food. Their sense of security has been disrupted. And so now we're impacting trauma into these children. And I want to make sure it's clear that the anecdotes that we're telling and that you just talked about, Melissa, and you've talked about, Amanda, they're not uncommon. I mean, I think this is what happens. The studies have shown that, and I know there was a report um, from the Wisconsin State Public Defender's Office. They were citing reports um, Mm -hmm. in their testimony in opposition to these um, referendums. And um, they talked about studies that showed that um, if someone is held for two to three days in jail, they're 40% more likely to commit another crime after obtaining release and the reason for that is just two to three days has a 40 percent increase Mm -hmm. and the reason is because of the level of desperation that you've just put them they now can do not have job stability anymore cannot pay their rent Mm -hmm. cannot figure out what to do with their kids because they've disappeared for two to three days and of course we know pre-trial um holds are much much longer than that they can last for months they can last for years and in those circumstances, the level of disruption simply because you do not have access to money. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Amanda. Um, and I think also, you know, zeroing in how um, how I think Melissa started, where like these folks are legally innocent, and the impact, in addition to the the kind of cascading social and, and economic and psychological consequences of just a few days incarcerated, um, compared to um, similarly situated non-detained peers, um, studies have shown that folks who are detained pretrial are more likely to plead guilty, mm-hmm. more likely to be convicted, more likely to get uh, sentenced to uh, jail um, or have longer sentences um, if if incarcerated and in prison, and um, you know the Constitution, the federal Constitution, our state Constitution, 
should matter. And when we talk about the presumption of innocence, it should matter and not just be um, an afterthought. And I think that's uh, a frustrating piece um, when you hear all of these debates about this issue is, you know, it's just talked about as if, you know, this thing happened, this person did it, and we're not even going to acknowledge that that person is legally innocent under the Constitution. While people that have access to money are able to get out and do all these things and get away from the presumption of, or even if society still presumes they did it, right? they still have access to all of these services. And Amanda, I think you make a really good point about people that are uh, incarcerated pretrial are more likely to um, plead guilty. You know, just Think about it for a second. I want everyone that's listening to think about exactly what Amanda and Melissa are talking to us right now about. If you are charged with a crime, you want to get out of jail as soon as possible. You Mm -hmm. want to have access to your family and friends. You want to have access to your clergy. You want to have access to your defense attorney. You also want to be the example of perfectness when a judge later looks at you and you want to say I had this moment and I've turned my life around or I never did anything wrong but you thought I did and I've turned my life around well how can you demonstrate that you've turned your life around if you're sitting in jail if you're not sitting in jail I mean I don't even mean this as a a anecdotal this is what people do if you're charged with a crime you get out and all of a sudden you go to church on a regular basis you are the best person you've ever been because you're trying to show who you really are to the system and you have all these opportunities to do that and you don't have those opportunities when you're incarcerated and those numbers really play out amanda when you're talking about how individuals incarcerated don't have an opportunity to prove themselves to the court system Mm -hmm. and wind up pleading guilty in cases where guilt may not be actually there. Absolutely. And I think um, kind of going back to, to something that, that such a critical point that Melissa brought up about parents who are incarcerated Mm -hmm. and, you know, if there is, um, you know, if CPS gets involved, um, the County Child Welfare Agency or in, in Milwaukee, uh, the Division of Milwaukee Child uh, Protective Services gets involved, takes custody of your child because you are incarcerated and there mm-hmm. isn't um, a family member or an informal support um, that can uh, care for your child. Um, there are lasting consequences of that time of separation where it can become much easier later to, to, for um, prosecutors and the state to come in and try to terminate that parent's rights and something that can be held against them are these periods of incarceration where they weren't providing you know, direct daily care to their children um, despite desperately wanting to, they're, they're not able to make bail and they're stuck, which as you mentioned earlier, you know, could be months and months um, or even potentially years in some mm-hmm. cases pre-trial. Um, and thinking about, you know, what does contact with family and loved ones, mm-hmm. whether, you know, someone's a parent or caregiver or not, what does that look like? Um, and, and thinking about how it's not free. <laughs> um, like not only are you paying sometimes in some counties like fees and fines just for your, your the ability to, to stay there <laughs> um, against your will, um, but the rates for phone calls yeah. and um, like per minute, you know, in some counties, almost $15 for a 15 minute phone call. Right. Like that's how you stay in contact with your family. Um, so I don't know. Um, I, I think uh, Melissa always does a, a great job of describing, you know, how folks, the basic needs that are not met yeah. of people who are in jail. I don't know if there's any, any other things you want to elaborate on there, Melissa. I would even add, I think, and I love that Amanda just brought up the phone call, um, the access piece. That is a simple need. If you have to pay $14 to get a 15-minute phone call to either call your boss, okay, to get a hold of your job, maybe you have to call if you're renting your landlord, 
then you have to call somebody about your children. Mm-hmm. Can you make those three phone calls out of money that you might not have? That's 15, you know, fifth, what, $14 per? Right. And you, you haven't call? even spoken to your Who defense you attorney call? yet. You didn't speak to your yep. defense attorney yet. No. Right. Right. Yep. And it's all this hot, like, who do you call in those moments? And that is just not, you know, I think if we want to talk about violence, that's a form of violence. If we have to be paying fee, if people have to pay fees in these systems, that in a way is a form of violence. And I think even too, um, more on just the, the impact, I think, of needs is, again, how we interpret violence. What does that really mean to each of us? How does the court, I think, define that? Because when you have to walk through booking at a county jail and be strip searched, um, and there are many people who've never gone through that, your dignity is gone from that moment. There is no dignity in the county jail. And so when at that point do we get to talk about that type of violence when a dignity is stripped away from a human being and when you're told this is what your name is, offender, Luden, Um, And then you're told that anything beyond this point, beyond booking, is a privilege that they don't have to have. That's a form of violence, and that's not okay. We're talking right now with Melissa Luden and uh, Amanda Merkway uh, from the ACLU of Wisconsin. We would love to hear your questions or comments if you want to join the conversation. We're talking about... uh, Two amendments that are on the Wisconsin state, uh, uh, the Wisconsin state ballot coming up in April. There are two amendments to the Constitution, two referendums. If you want to join the conversation again, we would love to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9 is the number. We have uh, Jade, our producers in the studio, and we have Dave and Jay, uh, our two engineers. We're all ready to take your call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Um, so I want to sort of get into the practicality of what happens here now. So what happens if this passes? What does that look like? And is there additional legislation that then we think is coming down the pike to even sort of double down, triple down, quadruple down on um, the incarcerating aspect of our criminal justice system instead of the aspects that actually work and make community safer? Yeah, so you know, when you look at the questions, um, there are, um, sorry, I'm just looking at the language again. Um, a a, a piece that is uh, confusing is that the, if the public votes in, 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 in support of each of these, um, there also is an additional piece of legislation that is currently pending before the legislature and is moving very quickly within the legislature, um, Assembly Bill 54 and the Companion Bill, Senate Bill 75, okay. um, that is uh, kind of the, the, the trailer bill or the implementing legislation um, that will change state statutes to align with um, what our what those constitutional changes would be. And they provide definitions um, of this new term of of serious harm um, and enumerate specific um, uh, violent crimes um, that would impact what a judge is considering um, when setting both um, the monetary amount of of bail, um, but also non-monetary conditions of release. And so, um, so far, there have been public hearings um, in the, the standing committees of both uh, both houses. And as um, Senator Larson alluded to, there is a hearing on the, the Senate bill, um, or excuse me, an executive session where they're going to take a vote uh, in committee on the Senate bill tomorrow. Um, and it is on the, the floor of the Assembly and potentially the Senate next Tuesday, hmm. uh, the, the 22nd. So it's moving very quickly. Um and I think certainly it's confusing to me. So would imagine it's confusing to others, all of these different moving, moving pieces where we're going to, you know, first there's a possibility this could pass without knowing exactly how it would be implemented right. if this bill were not yet enacted. Which is pretty intense to think this is a constitutional amendment. So there's no going 
back. You know, once this passes to uh, to amend the amendment takes uh, literally years because it has to pass multiple state legislatures and then go on a ballot. So it's just sort of overwhelming at the thought that they're still tinkering and working on what exactly this amendment means. And yet they're putting it before all of us uh, in two plus weeks. Mm-hmm. Is this common? I don't recall seeing something like this. I don't think it's this scary. is that common. <laughs> <laughs> Very scary. It is. It's pretty intense. And yeah. can we talk a little bit about um, Senator Larson mentioned how this was initially put in um, when he saw it at the legislature uh, in anticipation of candidates running for Wisconsin Supreme Court. What's interesting, though, is that it's been... Um, reported in the paper that all of the all four of the candidates that ran for Supreme Court uh, said they supported this. Have do you think is there sort of some concern that people aren't really paying attention to the detail and 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 getting lost in the ambiguous language of the proposal? I think absolutely it will be people will see this on their ballot and they will have absolutely no idea truly what it what it means and what the kind of large-scale impact of amending the constitution in this way um, could mean especially when you know this this trailer bill that creates the statutory language to to implement the change if if the referendum passes you know defines serious harm um, as either personal physical pain or injury or illness any impairment impairment of physical condition or death, including mental anguish or emotional harm attendant to the personal physical pain or injury, illness or death, damage to property over $2,500 in value, or economic loss over $2,500 in value. Like that is wow. a pretty, I don't know what's not included well, in that definition. So there's voters don't get to see that. Economic loss, economic loss. There are actually putting economic loss. Mm-hmm. So we should put someone in jail Pre-trial, no conviction, presumption of innocence under the United States Constitution, mm-hmm. not because I'm worried they will physically harm me, but because I'm worried they will cost me economic harm. I mean, I really would appreciate an America that takes white collar criminals seriously, but I have a really big feeling that this has nothing to do with white collar criminals. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty outrageous that that could mm-hmm. be a standard. And I don't think people realize, I mean, I didn't realize mm-hmm. that that was part of the language until you read it right now, Amanda, that it could be part of the language. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think even just to add, you know, thinking about where did this even come from? How did this issue even become about was you know, from Waukesha? And the problem that when we take high profile cases. Yes. Those cases are very rare. You should not be I making policy based on I, yeah. yeah. And when I was 19 and going through my situation, it was a very high profile case. They were very clear that they wanted to make an example out of me um, and try to charge me with something that was not charged with in over 20 years in our area. Hmm. And the, I think there's something to be said for that because when we want to make an example out of somebody, that doesn't mean majority. And that doesn't speak to the root causes at all. We just want to punish. We want to be authoritarian. And again, I, you know, that style, even from a mom, I have four boys now. Not doing authoritarian punishment, rewards, well, consequences. It is literally looking at skill building and not behavior. Well, what skill do I need to model and it for my child? And what boundary? What boundary can I model? And not only that, how do I teach my child emotional regulation? Well, Currently and, now and it doesn't our work. doesn't support that. Right, yeah. right. And I yeah. think, I mean, what happened in Waukesha if that person had been assessed a higher amount of cash bail and was able to pay it, nothing would have changed. Cash yeah. bail wouldn't have yeah. solved the problem. I'm not saying that that wasn't a tragedy that that deserves a review and analysis of solutions. I don't know how cash, how money solves that solution in any way. It's just sort of shocking. 
Well, it's really been fabulous talking with the two of you in our in our final moment here. My final question would be, what's next? What can people do to educate themselves more about the initiatives and help educate um, others in their community? Is there a website or anything, um, resources the ACLU has? Sure. So on our, our website, um, aclu-wi.org, um, we have uh, both information about the upcoming uh, uh, Supreme Court election, um, in addition to um, a page on uh, our website geared towards legislation that we are tracking and have, have the, the ACLU has registered um, for and against. And two of the, the bills with kind of a summary are both the, the joint resolution um, that we opposed that put this on the ballot in the first place, um, and then also have a, a summary of uh, AB 54 and SB 75, um, the, the trailer bill implementing legislation um, that we also are, are registered against. Um, so can check out our website, um, but also just encourage folks um, to uh, not just to, to, to dig deeper beyond, um, you know, the, the taglines that are so, they're lazy the lock them up talking points are so unnuanced and don't um, don't really paint the picture of the full reality of uh, the human impact of of pretrial incarceration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I could add to Amanda, yes, please. On that, um, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone to care about our community. I think too often we worry about I got to do what I need to do for my family. I care about only my family and we don't care and look at our neighbor and we have to go out and really get to know people who might not share the same value set or share the same. uh, We, Hey, we haven't had the same upbringing, but I want to learn more about you. We have to care more about people and want to be actively involved in the community to understand what is really going on in the community and not just taking something away from the news. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's been wonderful talking with both of you. Again, um, Melissa Luden, the Coalition and Relations Advocate, and Amanda Merkway, um, the Advocacy Director, both with ACLU Wisconsin. Thank you both so much for joining today, for talking about all the things uh, that not everyone else is talking about that we need to know and, and educating us about these referendums on um, the ballot. It's been wonderful talking with both of you. Thanks again, Amanda and Melissa, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And a huge thank you also to Senator Chris Larson for joining us at the top of the hour. And always a thank you to Jade, our producer, Sholly, our news director, Dave and Jay for engineering today, Mary Jo for staffing the phones. It's been a great conversation. We're going to talk more about the initiatives on your ballot on next week's show. So Feel free to tune in then. You are listening again to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. See you again next week.